And we're going to look at all, well, I don't know all verses, but we're going to look at verses 1 through 44. 1 through 44. Jesse told me before the service to make sure I spoke loud because I had people here that didn't hear well. And I showed him my hearing aid, and I think that's the first time he knew I was wearing them. So if you can't hear me, James, they say they can't hear me. Can you turn me up? <laughs> is that better? Or is it too much? It's all right? Okay. All right. Well, John chapter 11. There was a man whose name was Lazarus, and he was very sick. Lazarus was brother to Mary and Martha, and they lived together in Bethany. And when Lazarus had fallen very ill, his sister sent word to Jesus and said to him, Lord, one whom you love is very sick. And when Jesus heard it, he said to his disciples, this is not a sickness unto death, but it is that you may see the glory of God and believe. Now Jesus did love Lazarus very much. Therefore, when he heard he was ill, he stayed two days more in the place where he was. Did you ever feel that way? That Jesus loves you so much that when you pray, he stays where he is? I think we've all felt that way, haven't we? Why doesn't he come right now? Well, sometimes it's so we can see the glory of God. But after the two days had passed, he said to the disciples, Come now and let us go up to Bethany. But they said to him, Lord, the last time you were in Bethany, the Jews tried to kill you. What are you going to do? Go up there a second time so they can finish the job? Jesus then said to them, Listen, Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I will go and waken him up. And they said to him, Lord, if he's sleeping and taking his rest, then surely he will get better. For they thought he was talking to them about literal sleep, but he was really talking to them about death. And so he said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, for I will go now and wake him up, and if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Then Thomas, who is called the doubter, said to the rest of them, Well, I suppose we might as well go with him so that we can all die with him. I think sometimes Thomas gets a bad rep. I mean, he was the only one who said, Let's go. I mean, we may die, but let's go anyway. We want to be with him. That doesn't sound like a lot of doubt. Uh, he must have known that Jesus was someone very important if he was willing to die for him. Well, it was, and so it was they all came to Bethany. And while they were still a little way out of the village, word came to Martha that the Lord had come. And Martha got up and went out of the house. She left Mary in the house. But Martha came to the place where Jesus was, for he was still outside the village. And when she came to him, she said to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever accused the Lord of not acting quick enough? <laughs> I mean, I don't think that was just a nice, oh, I wish you'd been here. I think she said, you know, if you'd been here, if you'd done your job, if you had come when I called you, I think we've all done that sometimes, haven't we? Lord, why haven't you acted quick enough? Well, he said to her, Martha, your brother will live again. And she said to him, oh, I know that he'll live again in the resurrection on the last day. And he said to her, Martha, 
I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And he who believes in me shall never die, and even if he does die, he will live again. Do you believe this? And perhaps the question Jesus asked Martha should be asked of us today, do we believe this? Well, Martha said to him, well, I do believe you are the Son of God come into the world, and that even now God will do for you whatever you ask of him. Hear what she is saying. She isn't so sure about this never dying stuff and this living again stuff, but she does believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he hears and answers Jesus' prayers. And having said this, she left Jesus where he was, and she went back to the house, and she said secretly to Mary, Mary, the Lord has come and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she jumped up and ran out of the house. And she came to the place where Jesus was, and when she came to him, she fell on her knees at his feet, and she said to him, O oh Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her there, he became deeply moved and grieved in his spirit. And then we have the shortest verse and perhaps one of the most important verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. That shows his humanity, doesn't it? Shows his love, shows his caring. Well, now Bethany is a village about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And when Lazarus had died, many Jews came out from there, from Jerusalem, to Bethany to comfort the women. And when they had seen Mary jump up and run out of the house, they sensed that she was going to the tomb to weep where Lazarus was buried. So they followed along that they might comfort her. And when they saw Jesus weeping, they said, Look, look how much he loved him who has died. But others of them said, I imagine, Ha! He could have kept him alive if he was who he says he is. But Jesus said to them, where have you laid him? And so they said to him, come, and we will show you. And so it was that they all came to the tomb. Now the tomb was just a big cave in which they had placed the body of Lazarus when he died. And had put his body in the tomb and had covered the door of the tomb with a great stone. And when Jesus saw the stone, once again he became greatly moved and grieved in his spirit, and he said to them, Take that stone away. But Martha, who had come and was now standing at his side, said to him, Lord, if they take that stone away, there's going to be a big stink. And Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And he said to her, Martha, Martha, Martha. How often have I told you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. And so they rolled the stone away. And after they had rolled the stone away, Jesus lifted up his face toward heaven and said, My father, I know that you hear me, and I know that you always hear me. Nevertheless, for their sakes, I will say it out loud. And then he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Or in our language, Lazarus, get yourself on out here. And behold, he who was dead came and stood in the door of the tomb. But his face was all wrapped with gravecloth, and his hands and feet were wrapped also. And when Jesus saw it, he said to them, Loose him and set him free. 
Well, I think that story is a great story on the freeing spirit that Jesus Christ offers to all of us. It's a great story. It's a story about the partnership of the church and Jesus. Now, I know we're told that the church began on the day of Pentecost, but I think the church concept was taught here. And that concept is that Jesus and the church working together can do great things. This is the story of Jesus coming into the midst of a, of a death, into a crowd of people, some who didn't believe at all, some who believed a little bit, some who wanted to believe but were having a hard time believing, and some who really believed. And I think that's what most churches are made up of. Some who don't believe at all, some who believe a little bit, some who really want to believe but have a hard time, and some who are totally sold out to Jesus Christ and absolutely believe. Jesus called the beginning of the church those who believed, those who had faith to act with him. It's a powerful story for it shows that perhaps we often make too much about the strength of God and don't pay attention to the weakness of God. What? The weakness of God? There are some things God, well, I shouldn't say can't do, but there are some things God won't do because he expects us to do it. God can do all things, we know that. But there apparently were on that day some things which Jesus either could not do or at least would not do. He did not roll the stone away. Even though his heart was grieved and he was deeply moved, even to the point of weeping, when he came to the presence of the tomb with the great stone, he didn't go up there and start rolling the stone away. Now, I don't know about you, but I know myself well enough to know that if I had the power Jesus had and I came to this great stone, I would have said, stone, move, and then turn to the people and say, see what I can do? Now, wouldn't you? Just some of you at least, wouldn't you have done that? I mean, think of how that could have proved to the people that he had the power. I mean, he didn't have to do anything else just to tell that stone to move, and it moved. That would have shown them, wow, he really is the Son of God. But he didn't do that. He said, move that stone, roll it away. He called those who dared to believe. I think in essence he was saying, is there anyone here who believes in me enough to step forth and roll that stone away? Well, we know how it affected Martha. She said, hey, if you roll that stone away, there's going to be a big stink. And I think that's also a message about the partnership the church has with Jesus. You stay along with Jesus and ministry long enough, and you're going to find yourself in some stinky business. It's not all white linen and silver. Martha was right. If you roll that stone away, you're going to raise a big stink. And often in ministry, if you, know what, if you do what you know you should do, you raise a big stink. I heard a, uh, a church growth expert teaching ministers how to grow their church say, the seven most deadly words of the church are these. We've never done it that way before. 
And I think that's true of any business. We've never done it that way before. And the second set of most deadly words are, we've always done it that way. I think that's seven. We have always done it. That's seven. Okay. We've never done it that way before, and we've always done it this way. We uh, came to Oklahoma to pastor a church here in Oklahoma City. I won't tell you which one. But before we came, when we met with the board, they said, we want you to reach out into this community and bring the people from the neighborhood into the church. When the church started, we all lived here, but we've moved out to Bethany and to Moore, to Midwest City, and we want the neighborhood people to come in. And we were so naive, we believed they wanted the neighborhood people to come in. <laughs> what they meant was we want the church to grow, and we want more people, but we want them to be exactly like us, upper middle class, all of the same color, the same culture, the same background, and that's not who the neighborhood people were. Well, we brought some of the neighborhood people in, and they weren't real happy about it. We had a potluck dinner one day, and the neighborhood people brought food to the potluck dinner. After the dinner, the lady who was in charge of the kitchen and Anyway, she took one of the dishes and gave it back to the lady who brought it and said, I know you're really poor and couldn't afford to bring this, so I put it in the back so nobody would eat it so you can take it home to feed your family. Never saw that family again. <laughs> but we've never had that kind of people in our church before. And although we say we want them, we don't really. I uh, pastored at Salvation Army Church in, in Minneapolis. Well, actually three of them at three different times, but one of them that had a tradition uh, of Swedish background. And in Sweden, you have to belong to the Lutheran Church. It's just national law. If you're a Swede, you're also a Lutheran. So the tradition in this church was all the Swedes went to the Lutheran church in the morning and came to our church at night. So Sunday morning I'd have a handful of people and Sunday night it would be packed. A couple of the folks who came on Sunday morning thought this isn't the way it should be. So we started working and we started bringing people from the neighborhood in and we filled the church on Sunday morning. One Sunday night one of the sweet little ladies came to me and said, please tell me what I heard isn't true. I said, well, I don't know. What did you hear? She said, I can't believe you're doing to our church what you're doing. I said, I don't know. What am I doing? And she said, I heard that you're filling it with strangers on Sunday morning. You're not doing that, are you? Did you get that? <laughs> you're filling our church with strangers. I said, well, you know, if you came on Sunday morning, you get to meet them. And they wouldn't be strangers anymore. And she said, oh, it's a sad, sad day. Sad, sad day. We've never done it that way before. I heard a uh, recording oh, many years ago, I guess, 
of a pastor of the largest church in, in uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil. It was kind of hard to listen to because he would speak in Portuguese and then an English interpreter would interpret and so on. So, but uh, he had a great story. At least I thought it was, enough that I've remembered it for years. He said, we need to think of our spiritual lives like a house. And one day Jesus knocks at the door. And we sit there for a few minutes and we pull the curtain back and we say, oh, it's Jesus. We put it back and so we run into the living room and we straighten everything up and dust the dust off the Bible and, and you know, just that. And then we open the door and say, come on in, Jesus. And he comes in and says, this is a lovely living room. We say, well, have a seat. He said, well, I'd really like to see the dining room. We say, oh, okay, just a minute. So we run in the dining room and straighten it up real quick and say, okay, come and see the dining room. You sit down at the table, I'll bring you some tea. He said, oh, if you're going to fix tea, I'll go in the kitchen with you. We said, oh, wait a minute. So we run in the kitchen and put all the dirty dishes in the sink instead of on the counter and grab the trash bag and take it out and put it outside the door and put a clean trash bag in and a few other things. So we said, oh, come on in, I'll fix you some tea. So he comes in and stands there and we talk for a while and then he says, what's in that drawer? We say, oh, that's my junk drawer. Oh, can I see what's in your junk drawer? Oh, nobody looks in my junk drawer. It's got too much junk in it. Well, why don't you and I clean it out? Oh, no, I wouldn't want you to look at my junk drawer. Well, maybe the two of us could clean it out. Oh, no, no. He says, okay. Well, I'll just stay here in the kitchen, and when you're ready to have that junk drawer clean out, I'll help you. Said, Isn't that like our lives? We invite them in, but it's a long time sometimes for some people before we say, okay, Jesus, clean out the junk drawer. Just those things that we hold on to. Anybody here got a junk drawer in your real house? Not in your spiritual life, I won't ask you that. But you got a junk drawer in the kitchen of your house? Yeah, I think we all do. But think about, compare that to our spiritual lives. Sometimes. We just need to let Jesus clean it out. Well, in that crowd, there were some who dared to believe. Others were saying, if he would have been here. Others were complaining and griping miserably. Yet in that crowd, there were some who dared to believe and who stepped forward and rolled away that stone. And the Bible doesn't say this, and you may disagree with me. But I think if no people had stepped forward to roll that stone away, Jesus would have walked away sorrowing, and Lazarus would have stayed in the tomb. I, I could be wrong. I can't prove that. But I think that's the case. Otherwise, why would he say, you roll the stone away? But some believed and were willing to act. Because some were there some there believed that that stone could be rolled away and they believed they could do it. They worked in concert with Jesus and I believe that energized Jesus' faith. I think he's encouraged when he sees people willing to work with him. Well, after they rolled the stone away, then he did something that nobody there could do. You see, they could roll the stone away. But nobody there could say, Lazarus, come forth. 
Well, I guess they could all say it, but not with any authority, not with any power, not with anything that would penetrate all the darkness of the tomb and bring this man to the door alive. But he came in a peculiar condition. John's careful to say he's appearing at the door of his tomb, but his face is all wrapped with grave cloth, and his hands and his feet were wrapped too. In other words, he looked like a mummy. I just got to put this in my mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> Reminds me of the, the preacher who was extremely long-winded, and, and his wife said to him one day, you know, you preach way too long. From now on, I want to stick this piece of hard candy in your mouth when you start preaching. When it's melted, you stop. So he did that, and it worked well, and the people were happy. And one Sunday, again, he went on and on and on and on and on and on. When they were done, his wife said, what in the world? Didn't that melt and you stopped? And he said, no, it still isn't melted. She said, well, let me see it. And he took it out, and she said, that's a button. Well, <laughs> that really was a cough drop I stuck in there. I checked. You see, when Lazarus came out to the door of that tomb, he can't see anything. He can't say anything. He can't hear very much. And he's held by a wrap, so he can't do anything. And his feet are wrapped, so he really can't go anywhere. He's alive, but he's certainly not free. Alive, but bound with the grave cloths of his own dying. And I think there's a lot of people like that today. Physically, they're alive, but spiritually, they're dead. People who are hurting, people who need the church. Well, once again, Jesus did not rush up to him and take off the grave cloths. Instead, he said, loose him and set him free. Again, Jesus didn't do what the people could do. He expected them to have a part in his ministry. Do you ever wonder what through the minds of the crowd as they watched? Now, we know what was going through Martha's mind. She already said it. Don't do anything like that. You're going to raise a big stink. We know that. But what did the others think? There's probably a job that no one wanted, according to Jewish law, to touch an unclean body, or a dead body made you unclean. So now they had a perplexing question. He was dead, but now he's alive, so if I touch him, does that make me unclean? Although he was dead, he's no longer dead, but he was dead, so, you know, the puzzling question there, what happens? What does that do to me? That's what most of us think, first of all, what about me? And then what would other people think? I mean, these are my friends here. If I go rushing up and start unwrapping this dead guy, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. And what if it's just a hoax? What if that's not really Lazarus? What if Jesus and his disciples planned this whole thing and had somebody wrapped up like a dead person so they could walk to the door, but Lazarus is still laying on the stone? What about, oh, that would be so embarrassing. I would look so foolish. It's never been done that way before. 
Now, in my thinking, and again, I can't prove this scripturally, and I could be wrong, but in my thinking, it was probably a group of women who stepped forward and set him free. In most of the great faith movements, the, new, the revivals and so on through the history of the church, it's been a man who did powerful preaching, but not until a bunch of women did a bunch of powerful praying. I can't remember who the president of Russia was at the time the, US, the USSR fell. <clears throat> But he said at one time, I do not blame the fall of the USSR on Ronald Reagan or on Margaret Thatcher. I blame it on those Russian women who every morning for years gathered at the Greek Orthodox Church and prayed for a revival. He said, we should have stopped them. I think he probably knew what he was talking about. But a group stepped forward, whether they were women or not, it's just conjecture, but they began to unwrap the cloth. And I imagine as they did so, they were thinking, what am I going to see? What am I going to hear? What's going to happen? I think this is the story of the birth of the church. And it's also a story about how wonderful it is when you and I have the courage to work in partnership with Jesus. That when we do what we can do, then Jesus will with us and do for us what we could never do. But I think we have to realize that he does rely on us to do what we can do. And all around us are men and women who are going through the most deadening circumstances of life, and we may not even know it. Homes are broken, marriages are beginning to come apart, Addictions that cannot be dealt with are abundant. Memories from the past which hold on like tentacles to us. Wounds that will not heal. How many things drive human beings into our own private dying experiences? And around us are men and women like that. And Christ is inviting us and is forever inviting us to join in partnership with him in loosing them and setting them free free from the binding experiences that bring life back to them. To set them free from those things that are are putting them in a tomb. The story of Lazarus is real. The man came back from the dead. He left his first tomb. Jesus wasn't kidding what he said. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. After Lazarus died in Israel and was buried in his first tomb in Bethany, and after Jesus and the people called him to life and set him free, Lazarus became the first evangelist to Cyprus. And Lazarus' second tomb is in in Cyprus. Uh, It's set aside as a religious historic site. But one of the converts on the Isle of Cyprus, one of the men led to Jesus by Lazarus was a man named Barnabas. In Acts 2.4, 
we read that a group of the men, a, a group amongst the group was a man of gentle nature and great spirit, Barnabas of Cyprus. The same Barnabas in the Paul and Barnabas fame. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, and Lazarus traveled around telling people about Jesus. Can you imagine hearing the testimony of a man who steps up and says, I was dead and buried in a tomb for four days, but Jesus raised me from the dead. Now listen to me as I talk to you about this man named Jesus. Look, as Selby said for the church we serve, that many, not this church particularly, but the church, universal, that many churches today are caught in their own entombing experiences. Congregation after congregation lie all wrapped up in their grave cloths, unable to see, unable to speak, unable to hear, unable to go, unable to do. Lots of churches are wrapped up in their own grave clothes, unable to do anything because they don't work in partnership with Jesus. And a lot of Christians are wrapped up in their own grave clothes, unable to see, unable to speak, unable to hear, unable to go, unable to do, because they've never allowed the Holy Spirit to set them free from their own boundaries. But thanks be to God, who has shown us such love and such mercy that He would choose to call you and me into this wonderful ministry of setting people free. No matter how dead a church is, no matter how dead a Christian experience is, there's the possibility of life again. Many years ago, I had, uh, through the Ministerial Association of the city I was serving, I became good friends with a Catholic priest who had had a definite experience with Jesus Christ. He was definitely born again. And many in his congregation were unhappy with his preaching that you have to be born again, not just go through traditions and rituals. <clears throat> One day as we were talking, I said, have you thought of leaving the Catholic Church and, and ministering in another denomination? And he said, oh no. He said, you know, it's a lot more fun raising the dead than just healing the sick. And I think that's what I've been called to do. I thought that was a great testimony. But no matter how dead a church is, with Christ there's a possibility of life. No matter how dry our own hearts are, no matter how dead and wounded our spirits, no matter the hurts or the disappointments or the despair, with Christ there's still possibility of life again. Jesus calls us to partnership with him to bring life to the dead, healing to the hurting, comfort to the distraught, faith to the faithless, freedom to those who are bound. He can do some of it, but he expects us to do our part. And to each of us, he offers healing and comfort and faith and freedom. He offers to us life when we are dead, freedom when we are bound, water when we are thirsty, bread when we are hungry. He says, you do your part, and I'll do mine. I had a song I wanted to, uh, I, I was going to sing to close this service with, but I realized I'm <clears throat> not talking too well, let alone singing, so I didn't even try. It was a Keith Green song. It says, 
my heart, no, my faith is dead. No, I for, now I forgot it. I should have written it out. My eyes are dry. My heart is cold. But I know how I ought to be alive to Christ. And that's where we all are, is it not? We need to be alive to Christ. Not worry about what people think. Not worry about what others are doing. Not worried about the way we always used to do it or that we've never done it that way before. But instead, worried about what part do I have in Christ's ministry. What can I do that he won't do? Not that he can't, but he won't do. And then what will he do when I do what I can do? Would you stand together and we'll close in prayer in just a moment? But just with every eye closed and no one looking around, is there anyone who just raised your hand and said, you know, sometimes I really feel bound in my own tomb. I, I just feel... The past is affecting the present so much that I can't even see a future. I need to be set free from hurts of the past and to be set free from burdens I've carried too long. I just need to ask the Holy Spirit to help me clean out that junk drawer in my kitchen. Just anybody, just raise your hand so we can pray for you this evening. 